Let's begin with a reading from Exodus, the 20th chapter, when our Lord God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And I want you to pay specific attention to this because it provides insight into the ins and outs of today's gospel lesson. From the 20th chapter of Exodus. The Lord said, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down and worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And now here again from the Gospel of Luke. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this and ridiculed them. So he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others. But God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. Dear hearers of the word of God, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let me tell you who Jesus is talking about in today's text. He is talking to those who pay close attention to the ups and downs of the stock market. He's talking to anyone who is either frustrated or giddy about student loan forgiveness. He's talking about folks who have been wheeling and dealing on Facebook Marketplace. He's taking aim at those who are keen on clipping coupons and saving a buck or two. He's talking about those of us, myself included, who are lovers of money. To get a better grip on what Jesus is doing today in the gospel, let me take a moment to remind you of God's overall nature as well as his long-term intentions for those he calls his own. Let me take a moment to remind you Christ's long game, his intentions for those who have ears to hear this sermon. The nature of God's intentions are found in two well-known Bible verses. One from the Old Testament and one from the New. The first is from the verse I read to you a moment ago. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The second is one that you know as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The connection between these two verses is, I think, fairly obvious. It's God's love. The Gospel of John is pretty simple and straightforward and plain. God loves the world. But if you read this verse from John in light of the verses from Exodus, your understanding of the intention and nature of God's love is sharpened. You see, God's love for the world, and more specifically, for you and me, has an edge to it. Heart emojis sent from your phone or poems found in an anniversary card don't adequately address God's love. Rather, God's love is the type of love that usually ends up motivating couples to go to marriage counseling 
we see in Exodus, God's love is jealous. Step back and think about it for a moment. Jealous love is controlling. Jealous love is possessive. Jealous love consumes both the lover and the one being loved. It takes over the relationship and leaves no room for anything else. And this is precisely the kind of love our Lord God says he has for you and for me. It's an extreme love. It's an all or nothing love. It's exclusive, binary, rigid. With that in mind, let's turn our attention back to today's gospel lesson. And keep in mind, this is Jesus talking. And that's important because, remember, Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand that his love is any different than the Father's love. That is to say, Christ's love for those he calls is also extreme, all or nothing, exclusive, controlling. Christ's love is a jealous love. Listen again to the words of Luke. No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate one or love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You see, Jesus is well-versed on how the heart and passions work. He knows that one's heart, your heart, my heart, clings to what it finds most advantageous. The reason you love something is because you think it benefits you. And beyond that, where your heart goes, so goes your faith, your trust. Like I just said, Jesus is well-versed on hearts and our passions. And it is for this reason that Jesus uses the word slave when he is talking about our hearts and our passions, what we love. Now, the word slave may seem a bit extreme and in some ways offensive. But Jesus uses it on purpose. As you know, slaves are not in control of their lives. Slaves don't get to choose their course of action. And so, Jesus, in knowing how hearts and passions work, uses the illustration of a slave. Our passions, our hearts, are in control of our lives. And so what we love is, in essence, our master. That is to say, what we love controls our lives. It's our Lord. Let me be a little more specific because this is the point of Jesus' parable after all. What we love functions as our God. Just, just a minute and aside before I continue. Did any of you see what happened to the stock market this week? Quite a ride. And you should have seen the deals my kids got on Facebook Marketplace. I was so proud of them. I have a really cool phone, app on my phone that actually gives me discounts at restaurants locally. Oh yeah, where was I? Oh, yeah, verse 14 of Luke. Let me read it to you. 
The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they ridiculed them. So he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. Did you just hear what Jesus said? He knows our hearts. And remember what I said earlier. Not only does he know our hearts, he is the jealous type. And so he wants our hearts all to himself. And as the jealous type, he is willing to go to the extreme to get what he wants. He is an all or nothing God. Now think about that for a moment. Are you going to fend off God's pursuit of your heart? If God wants something, we see time and again in the Bible, he gets it. The question is, to what extent will Jesus go to capture your heart? How extreme will he be? Let's go backwards in today's gospel lesson to get a closer look and a clearer picture of Jesus' intentions and his methods. I'm going to start with the first verse of the gospel. Then Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is it that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. To get a sense of how Jesus operates, notice the rich, how the rich man deals with the dishonest manager. The manager has squandered things. And as a result, the rich man names his sin. In our culture and in our day and age, this would seem rather extreme. The man isn't given a warning, let alone a second chance. He was terminated on the spot. Now keep in mind, God doesn't tiptoe around things when he's coming after hearts, especially the hearts of sinners. And his first move is naming sin. Okay, let's continue to unpack this parable to see how well Jesus knows the hearts of sinners. And the first thing we see is that Jesus, what he knows about us, is that after having our sin named, we will go into what I call self-preservation mode. Self-preservation mode is what the dishonest manager did in the parable. The manager tries to minimize, if not outright avoid, the consequences of his squandering and deception. And, as Jesus describes in the parable, the next step the sinner takes is to draw others into the world of sin, squandering, and deceit by playing on people's sense of getting ahead or getting an advantage. Clearly, Jesus knows the ways of sinners, the path people follow. And thus, we see actually that the rich man commends the manager for knowing how to play the game of this old world. The manager acted shrewdly by taking actions that served the purpose of his sinful deeds. So, we hear the rich man saying, in essence, well played in this world. You are shrewd in dealing with dishonest wealth. 
But Jesus' praise for the manager isn't where he leaves things. Remember, Jesus is after the heart of sinners. And so, we see Jesus' next move when he starts talking in either-or language. Again from the Gospel of Luke. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. Let's put this language in something that you've probably heard before and most people understand. Jesus is telling sinners that you can't have your cake and eat it too. Jesus is saying it's my way or the highway buster. So, Jesus' next move is to shift the conversation from the commerce and pattern of this world where people are hedging bets. Jesus' next move is to shift the conversation to the way his kingdom works, the ways of eternal life. Listen again to Jesus when he turns to his disciples to tell them how the kingdom works. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one or love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. If it seems a bit extreme, well then, you now know how Jesus works. And so, as the jealous type, he is going to stop at nothing to get at your heart. In fact, he knows how his disciples work. He knows how you and I work. We are going to do everything in our power to avoid the consequences of our sin. He knows we'll even take the one who accuses us of sin and hang him out dry, so to speak. That is to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross for us. As we try to avoid the accusation of being selfish, he will use our selfishness, die because of our selfishness, as a means of capturing our heart. That is to say, he is so jealous. He wants control of your heart and eternal life so much that he is going to expose your sin by taking it on in his flesh. And then, do you know what his next move is? It sounds like this. Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you and for all people. Shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your selfishness, your love of money, your having other gods, the forgiveness of all your sin. And with those words, Jesus is going to take your sin and with it, your heart, and claim it as his own. Amen.